Okay, welcome to everybody to a uh, short society of sports therapist uh, podcast. So my name is Ashley Jones, Director of Communications for the Society. I'm joined today by one of my colleagues from Leeds Beckett University, um, Dr. Ian Cranswick, who's going to talk to us a little bit about um, a new rehabilitation model that he's proposing um, within uh, teaching, but also in practice as well. Um, and this is so Yang's going to sort of introduce a little bit about the, the history behind what, why he's decided this model may well be useful, um, what is missing currently from uh, some of the rehabilitation models that are already available, and then how we can help uh, plan, it can help sort of plan rehab from traumatic um, or mechanistic um, rehabilitation, uh, sorry, injury um, mechanisms that we see out there in, in clinical practice. So, First of all, Yain, uh, welcome. Um, and uh, we're just going to talk to you first a little bit about, I suppose, what models are already out there that are sort of commonly used by the students or practitioners um, of members of the society and, and other MSK therapists. So, so what's already out there and what do we already know? So, yeah, so just coming, this has kind of been been birthed from kind of working with students and traditionally kind of their, their rehabilitation or ability to apply kind of particularly that exercise rehab being generally a little bit what we maybe politely say under par um, and then as, as as you as we all know going out into the world and out into the field for the first time it can be a little bit daunting kind of choosing exercises and setting up rehab plans and um, so if we're kind of looking at that from a teaching perspective and putting it into practice if you look at the models that are out there so we kind of still basing our, our rehab on kind of Anderson's model where we've got the kind of four distinct phases kind of where we control that inflammation then we have a phase restoring range of movement then they kind of lump strength power and endurance all into kind of one phase and then a, a kind of return to sport kind of a, a general return to sport phase which is good it gives us that nice kind of progressive phases um, and then kind of Joel Beam built on that as well and added a little a little bit more to the sport specific element on that. Um, so what those models have done for us is give us some nice clear cut phases where we, we kind of roughly know what we're doing in phase one in terms of range of movement. Then we'll have kind of a um, phase where we know that we're going to be working on strength and, and power and endurance and then some, some sport specific phase. So that was really, I think, really useful. But what, that, what we're starting to find or what I find as a practitioner, but also teaching kind of students is it's a little bit vague and they kind of know that range of movement comes first. They know that then there's some element of strength or power or endurance, but it's not quite as clear cut. And then they, they kind of start to struggle with exercise choices and progressions because it's, it's a little bit too general. And, it's, and then they get to sports um, specific phase. And it, it's again, what is sports? What is return to sport? What do I need to include in that phase? Um, if, if you're new to the field and you're a student, that can be quite overwhelming. Um, so I think they've laid us some nice foundations. I think it's just time to make those a little bit more clear cut and give give practitioners and students a bit more um, clarity in in kind of goal setting. So being a bit more specific. So in that kind of phase three, for example, Anderson's model where it says strength, power, endurance, which one are we working on? Which one do we work on first or which one do we focus on? Because ultimately the way we we kind of um, progress those and the way we design those is going to be very different if it's strength or if it's muscular endurance or power. So I just think some things need kind of uh, kind of clarifying and differentiating a little bit more. Um, and within those models as well, it, it's almost kind of, well, we need to do range of movement first and then we move on to strength. 
And I think for me that, yes, we need to address that range of movement issue. And yes, we need to, 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 to kind of fix that and, and amend that as a priority. But we don't leave out strength and we don't leave out muscle acti- any muscle activating exercises because otherwise we're just kind of making it much harder for ourselves down the line. So I think having that almost kind of tiered approach or kind of stepladder approach can kind of mislead us to think, right, well, I'll just focus on range of movement, then I'll move on. So um, that's kind of where this idea has come from. I just wanted to kind of create a bit more of a, a kind of a framework or a, or a kind of a map for for practitioners that can look at it and it's quite visual uh, and I'll talk a little bit about how it's kind of set out shortly so we can kind of look at that and we can say right okay if this is the phase I'm working on this is where my athletes at where's my focus and rather than being kind of one then the other I've kind of created some kind of proportions so you can visually see okay well in this phase I'm focusing x amount of my time on range of movement but I still need to focus this amount on some strength and this amount on something else it kind of gives you a nice visual um kind of separation and and gives you the proportions on on different elements to work on and that then moves across a continuum across the rehabilitation process and those proportions will then change so as we kind of achieve good range of movement we then can focus more on strength and more on kind of neuromuscular capabilities um, and things like that so I think that that's kind of where it came from is it's not not saying that these models aren't good it's not saying that these models aren't working I just think we just need to be separate them out a bit more make them a little bit more specific and particularly with kind of new theories coming through um, maybe time to kind of add some of those on. So if you read some of the literature around kind of exercise programming and rehabilitation programming, we have kind of these separate theories, um, kind of control chaos theory that you'd probably be aware of from Tabner um, et al. And that was particularly applied to football. Um, But I thought it was a great, great kind of useful tool for practitioners and students to understand that, yes, we need to progress the exercises in terms of intensity and things like that. But there's also this idea of control and chaos. So if we've got uh, people in an early phase, everything's going to be relatively controlled. So they not not only need to think about the type of exercise and the sets and the reps and the intensity, but thinking how much demand is this putting on the joint from a neuromuscular perspective? How much um, kind of unpredicted or anticipatory events do I need to add to this? Or how much do I need to control that movement depending on which phase I'm at? So I think the idea kind of came from just building those models to be a bit more clear, but then also kind of integrating some of these other really useful ideas out there into kind of one framework. Um, and like I said, there's a bit of a navigation tool so that an athlete, a student or a um, practitioner, sorry, can pick that up and use that as a guide for them planning and implementing and, and, and designing their plans. So yeah, that's kind of where it came from. Um, I don't know if you had any questions on that, Ash, or... Well, so I suppose whereabouts are you with it now and, and, and how do you see it moving forward? So you, you've talked about the continuum and, and you've talked about a, a basic structure that you've put together and you've integrated the, the controlled chaos theory into that as well. Um, so I suppose where is it at and where is it going to go? But yeah, um, so like uh, like I said, it's it's kind of an idea that's birthed from, from teaching. So I've got a lot of colleagues at um, Leeds Beckett helping me out with some of the concepts and some of the ideas and uh i'm hopefully allowed to say this ash but ash is also on this with me working working quite closely with me on this um so where we're at at the moment is i've I've put down the framework into kind of a a really rough working model and and how that's kind of set out is 
it's almost graphically. So I've got kind of the graph there, and each each element is kind of uh, is, is is represented by an arrow on that continuum, and then the thickness and the shape of that arrow determines the proportions at each each phase. So we've got um, the kind of key elements we've put in there are range of movement. So sticking with a lot of the, the principles that we already know about. So range of movement, but strength as its own block, because I think strength for me, and uh, if you read a lot of the kind of re recent work on strength and its its place in rehab, it's um, it needs to be done quite early and we need to start programming strength a little bit better. Uh, we tend to kind of throw three times 10 at everything and that's kind of a bit of a no man's land if you look at the, the, the literature on rep rep ranges and working strength so i've separated strength out as its own own um element so we've got range of movement strength uh neuromuscular capabilities so thinking about uh things like uh, proprioception coordination all those kind of muscle activation co-contractions uh, all the kind of neuromuscular elements that we can we can utilize throughout the rehab plan to some extent and then into expressions of force that we've termed it so that's where you then include things like rate of force development uh power muscular endurance so it's then expressing that strength so we've we've built that base fundamental uh, uh fuel tank of force which is your strength so that ability to generate force but then we're looking at different ways that athletes need to express that so whether that's power rate of force development plyometrics uh, or muscular endurance and again that expression of force then is is going to be tailored to the athlete needs so if you've got a power athlete a lot of your focus in that uh, that section is going to be power and ballistic strength and plyometric if you've got an endurance athlete that's where you, that, that force might then be expressed in terms of higher rep ranges higher volume longer 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 distances or whatever your 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 exercise or your activity is so then after that expression of force we've got the performance specific neuromuscular capabilities or performance specific capabilities so that's kind of taking general proprioceptive elements and adding kind of sport related twists to it so what does this athlete need in the in the kind of realms of their sport from a neuromuscular perspective so is that kind of landing mechanics is that reactivity to to uh, landing change in direction so it, it's kind of a, a step up it's it's that sport specific element uh, added into that and then finally which was a um i'll give ash credit for this it came from ash's idea was a, an element focused on kind of the mechanism of injury. So if we've got an injury that we've got a known mechanism or we've got an injury that we know there are kind of several common mechanisms associated with that, can we focus on those in those latter stages a little bit more and condition our athletes to be more resilient to those? So we can kind of put them, and that will come under that kind of chaotic element, I guess. So there'll be some uh, anticipated uh, anticipatory activities some unpredicted elements but reconditioning them to be nice and strong robust and resilient in those um kind of common mechanisms so it might be a knee valgus or some rotational element through the knee but we get them used to that get them able to co-contract and react and make themselves nice and nice and protected when it comes back to that return to sport and being exposed to those sorts of forces so the models there at the moment in its rough form so we've got the, all the elements laid up by arrows, and like I said, distributed in, in different proportions as we move along from early through to return to play. Uh, and then along that continuum at the top, we've got the control chaos element. So right in those early phases, everything's going to be really quite controlled. We're going to be looking at kind of linear movements. We're going to be looking at kind of slow controlled movements. And then as we move across, we 
we start moving towards those more um, chaotic, unpredicted elements. So more multi-direction perturbations, um, random change of direction, having to land and take off, adding kind of sports stimuli in there as well. So it becomes, uh, like I said, as the name suggests, a little bit more chaotic towards the end. And then finally at the bottom, just nice and simple thinking about motor complexity. So starting nice and simple. So that might be a, a, a kind of uh, simple linear movement pattern and then making that more complex across that, across that bottom continuum. So thinking about, okay, it's not just a case of thinking about the movement, what other neuromuscular um, processes are going on with this and, and, and making those activities more complex. So I think it, what, what the idea was is that looking at that model and having that in front of them and the different proportions and the, the student or the other practitioner can look at that and go, well, my athlete's kind of sitting in here, the middle part of that, that, that model, where am I focusing my time? And I think what that does in terms of utility for us is it really helps, or, or in my mind, it really helps periodize and set really specific goals for those phases. Um, and I've not put, kind of specific phases to each element of that model because I think that can that can tie us down to oh, well, which phase am I in here and I'm just kind of pigeonholing an athlete into a phase I think with that model we can kind of look where they are on that um, continuum in terms of where they are in their rehabilitation use our knowledge of healing process and and knowing what's what's safe and what's not but then thinking okay well they're, they're here on, on the rehab model Where's my time going to focus? So then within that phase, I can really set out some nice periodized goals. And by knowing that 70% of my time is going to be working on strength, my exercise choices then become a little bit more targeted. So I think that the habit we, we have as early, early kind of career practitioners or students is we try and do too much in, in, very, in a short space of time. So we kind of throw everything at our athlete and hope some of it works. Whereas if we know right this phase, main focus is strength. Okay, what am I going to use for strength for the knee? Okay, well, I'll think, okay, it's going to be closed chain exercises, maybe some open chain, depending on the, on the injury and where they're at. Uh, I'm going to be working to these rep ranges and that's my, my main, main focus. I know then everything else will come at a later point. I might within that be focused on some range of movement, but I know that that's, that's kind of secondary to my main goal. So I can maybe put some, some warm-up moves in there or moves that will also address range of movement. But I think it gives us that nice targeted um, viewpoint on it um, and allows us to better integrate kind of periodization because I don't think that's that's kind of explicitly used or talked about as much in rehab uh, as yeah. it maybe should be. I think that's, that's a really good point because as a, as a sports therapist, we, we essentially are um, hybrids as well, because we have some, we have half our degree in sports science. We are expected to be able to periodize and understand uh, principles of fitness and training to a, to a high level. And I think sometimes the, if we use a really rigid model, we don't trust our clinical instincts and our science instincts. We just stick to something that's a bit too rigid. Uh, and especially in less experienced gradu uh, graduates or practitioners, I think that's something that, that they need to learn to, to have a really solid battery of measures that they take between phases, but also have the flexibility to drop back into different phases and move forward. And, and, and sort of sometimes one step back is two steps forward in that way. Um, so I think it's some really interesting stuff there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to cut it there, but uh, I'm, I'm really interested that we uh, that we will have another chat about this when we've got some um, 
something in in written format because I think the yeah. members will really appreciate understanding that model in more of its uh, its its more formal uh, format once we've we've got something down on paper uh, yeah. and hopefully out there in the public domain um, in, in in some sort of editorial journal format. So, but yeah, thanks very much for giving up your time to speak to me today, and uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing more about this in the coming months. Yeah, no, thank you, Ash. Thanks for the invite. Uh, if anyone does want any kind of specific chats on it, I'm happy for you to share share contact details or anything. We can, if anyone's got any ideas to, to throw in, that, that'd be good. Um, but yeah, thanks for inviting me. Thanks very much, everybody. And we will speak to you again soon.